Hello there. Welcome. Highfalutin Ski Bum Podcast, episode number 144. That's right. 12 squared, 144. That's us. It is your pals, Mario and Brian. Mario, what is up? I'm impressed right now that you know the, the squared, 12 squared. I'm like, all right. That, that threw me for a loop there. Yeah, my like rain man brain just like sees things like that and just has to have to wear a for a minute. <laughs> Oh, you know where you are. Let me tell you. Well, thank you everyone so much for listening. We really do appreciate it. Check us out. SkiBumPodcast.com. We're on all the socials. Twitter.com slash SkiBumPodcast. Instagram.com slash SkiBumPodcast. Facebook.com slash SkiBumPodcast. We are on YouTube as well. Search us out. Highfalutin SkiBums. You can check us out on Pinterest. Highfalutins, and we are on SoundCloud as Highfalutin dash Ski Bum. So, Mario, with that, let's kick it off. It's time for our prey today. Uh, we're in the holiday season, so I'm sticking with red wine. I'm in the in the red wine kind of mine. So, uh, I got this as a gift from a really nice uh, person I work with, and um, it's from Cocoban vineyards it's a red blend california red blend uh nothing fancy but it's a good one i gotta say this is solid um i think i've seen retailing for about 10 bucks a bottle but uh got a nice nice bold taste um i wouldn't say it's really dry but it's a good blend it's a red wine blend so i would recommend it Nothing fancy, but uh, solid, I gotta say. Very nice. I'm going back, going back beer style, because we've had a couple couple episodes where we had some different stuff. Actually, I think last week I had a, a beer as well. But this one is from our buddy Matt. Again, thank you very much, Matt. This is from Treehouse. This is probably their, their best known or one of their favorite beers. It is Julius. Mm, Julius, which is an American IPA, and if you ever had this or you're an IPA fan, this is this is one of the uh, one of the top IPAs to get your hands on. It's really, really hoppy, really citrusy, super flavorful, nice and hazy. You open the can up, and again, it's. I think most treehouse IPAs are like this. I mean, they really smell fresh, and they really smell like you are walking into a brewery and getting that that whiff of, uh, of just fermented hops. It is a delicious, smooth beer. Uh, I love this beer. It's one of my all time favorites. So Matt, thank you again. And Treehouse, thank you for making this wonderful beer. Yeah. Thanks again, Matt. That's cool. Cool. So we got a couple fun at today stories. You want to start us off there, sir? Yeah. Let's start us off with, um, Big Tobacco and Brewers getting together. So the makers of Marvel and Corona are getting into marijuana. So Uh-oh. if anybody hasn't heard, I mean, this made pretty big news with uh, Altria, who is um, Marlboro, the uh, makers of Marlboro. And then, um, well, there's Corona's group. So the maker of Marlboro and other cigarettes paid $1.8 billion for half of Corona's group. So that's a cannabis company in Toronto. And then, and that's the Marlboro side, right? So then August, uh, Constellation brand, which owns Corona, a bunch of other beers, 
paid $4 billion for a major stake in Canopy Growth, which is a, another Canadian marijuana company. So when they jumped in, I remember the markets went freaking nuts. Like everybody was investing in marijuana stocks and it just went, it was like a week of like ups and downs for the whole marijuana industry. Um, but you know, when all said and done, I mean, they're, they're invested. That's not like a little tease. I mean, they went, they both went balls deep, like they're, they're into marijuana now. So, um, they're saying, you know, with, with the arrival of these big companies, um, they're saying it's, it's going to have an industry impact where all these other companies, big companies are going to start looking at these smaller marijuana companies. Um, so they're saying large, you know, the large scale investment suggests that the mainstream acceptance of marijuana has reached a significant tipping point. Um, and av- advocates are worried that the idealistic entrepreneurs who made this moment possible may get left behind. So, you know, I mean, we've seen it throughout history. Somebody has an idea and it's a great idea and they suffer to bring that to fruition and somebody else is going to benefit from it because they're the bigger, bigger investor or whatever. So, um, another big thing that, that this article talks about is they're talking about target.com began selling products that contain CBD, which is pretty big because I think a lot of the big, you know, national companies were, were kind of just putting the stance that, you know, we're not, we're not going to get behind any of these marijuana products, whether it's CDB or uh, CBD or, or THC. Um, but target.com was like, look, you know, it's, 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 it's illegal to be sold in, in most States anyway. So why not? So, yeah. You know, what's so funny. I was just watching, I guess HBO has been playing it a lot lately, watching super troopers. Oh, and nice. It's a, it's a funny movie. It's definitely dated feeling when you watch it now. It is dated. And it wasn't that long ago, right? Yeah, it was 2001 ish. I think. Somewhere only seven years ago, but you would, you would think it's longer than that though. Right? Uh, 17 years ago. Oh, sorry. My yeah. math isn't right. That's that new math. You know, you carry the one thing. You still got me with the, uh, you know, the doubling of the 12. I'm like, what? what? Yeah. You watch it though. And, you know, the whole thing was, is they, you know, they found that truck and it was full of weed. It was full of, as I said, reefer. <laughs> and now is they were Vermont state troopers. And now marijuana is legal in Vermont. And that was less than two decades that that Isn't happened. the logo like... Wasn't it like a um... Johnny Chimpo? <laughs> it was like a, it was like a little monkey kind of playing with his wiener, giving the middle finger. Yes, monkey stroking his banana. Johnny that. Chimpo, yeah. Johnny Chimpo. And they said it was like some sort of ripoff of a was it a Japanese or a Thai cartoon done in Afghanistan? So like it's Afghanistan animation. <laughs> it's definitely awesome. still funny, but it's it's definitely dated feeling too but johnny chippo johnny chippo there was the sequel came out last year or this year it was this year i think i haven't seen that one i think it's coming to hbo in like next month so maybe i'll 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 catch it then yeah yeah, isn't that so fun it's just so funny that it took this long over you know when prohibition of marijuana started in the 30s and then you know you get to the 70s and it really gets vilified and then you kind of go through that stereotypey joking phase of what the typical pot smoker is. And now it's gone to legalization yeah. where, you know, people just, it's just like, eh, it is what it is. People like it. People don't like it, but it's, it just is. Exactly. It's so funny. It's, it's just, you know, 
with age, you get you gain wisdom and you gain experience and you can just see the way things have progressed over time and why things happen when they do. And it's just such a it's just crazy to think like when you were a teenager or, you know, younger, you you remember it being like this devil drug and all drugs are bad. Then you kind of grow up and you get some experience and you learn something and you read read studies and findings and cases and talk to real people. And you're like, wow, this is just uh, another to the fake news another tool that that earth provided you know and if you like it great if you don't great but it, it it for some people for a lot of people it provides some healing and cure for pain and and uh ability to to see things differently which is pretty cool yeah it's pretty funny and now these big companies are getting involved man you know cashing um, in yeah they're cashing in they're actually talking about Altria is another one that's coming in they said coca-cola commented they're not jumping in but um, Molson Coors yep. is actually jumping in. Um, so it's just a, a mixed bag of, of people getting in. So that too is going to get to a tipping point where it's like, oh, this isn't like small market. Like this is pretty big business behind the scenes, you know? Yeah. Another story about a big company, sort of, that's that's having their product be used for a a fun product instead of a typical boring product. Kellogg's is now using rejected cornflakes to brew beer. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So in an effort to combat food waste, Kellogg's has teamed up with a craft brewery to use rejected cornflakes in beer production. The excess cornflakes produced by the UK wing of Kellogg's are being used by Manchester's Seven Brothers Brewery to produce a beer known as Throwaway IPA. Oh, nice. Referring to the fact that the cornflakes involved in its production would previously have been discarded. Here, they're upcycled, as the company puts it, reusing cornflakes that would otherwise be too big, too small, or improperly cooked to go into your cereal box. That's a really cool thing. And it's, it's cool that this brewery has such a kind of a fun attitude. I mean, granted, you're a brewery. If you're not a fun and you're in a brewery, you're definitely doing something wrong. But these guys are like, yeah, sure, we'll take your crap cornflakes. That is the worst British. That's not even a British accent. That's, I don't know what British. The, that's like some stupid leprechaun thing. Like, that's that's, tar- that's terrible. Not even Irish. It's Scottish, I think. I don't know. Yeah. I'm try- I just listened to Joe Rogan's podcast and he had Michael Bisping on, the UFC fighter. And I'm trying to think about how he would say it. He's from, he's from, man. No. I think he's from Manchester, isn't he? I have no idea. Yeah, I think he is. So I'm trying to think about how he said it, but yeah, it's not <laughs> happening. But yeah, well, it's. I know Kellogg's is like the illness is they're they're trying to cut down food waste, which is good. You know, it's good for everybody, right? Like you're making all this food product, but it's not perfect to put in your cereal. So why not do something else with it? Yeah. So here's a fun fact, if it's true, which, you know what? I'm not even going to try to look it up to see if it's not true. I'm just going <laughs> to, I, wa- I want this to be true. Do you know that cornflakes were actually part of an anti-masturbation crusade when they were first created? What? Eat your yeah. cornflakes and you stop whacking it? Like, what do you do? So in the 18th and 19th centuries, the Western world worked itself into a mass hissy fit. <laughs> 
over the idea of people touching themselves. Judeo-Christian tradition had already been damning masturbation as a misuse of sexuality for ages, but Victorian-era prudishness and the Great Awakening and other religious revivals in America created a perfect storm for people to really get obsessed with it. So um, it was no longer a moral failing, but also a physical and mental ailment that required treatment and cures. So this is all true. Yeah. So Harvey Keller was a physician. Yes. In the U S one of the loudest anti-masturbation voices was a Michigan physician named John Harvey Kellogg. The good doctor was a bit uncomfortable about sex, thinking it detrimental to physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being. He personally abstained from it and never consummated his marriage. He and his wife kept separate bedrooms and adopted all of their children. Speaking of masturbation, I'm sure she was like, gotta do something. So according to him, sex with your wife was bad, but masturbation was even worse. If illicit commerce of the sexes is a heinous sin, self-pollution is a crime doubly abominable. Wow. What what would he think about the real doll? Or like the little parts that you could bang right now? Lose his mind. (laughs) Kellogg, he cataloged 39 different symptoms of a person plagued by masturbation, including general infirmity, defective development, mood swings, fickleness, bashfulness, boldness, bad posture, stiff joints, elbow in the ribs, fondness for (laughs) spicy foods, fondness for spicy foods, acne, palpitations, and epilepsy. So yeah, it's like every, every kid that's like 14. The hell? Seriously. So his solution to all this suffering was a healthy diet. He thought that meat and certain flavorful and seasoned foods increase sexual desire and that plainer food, especially cereals and nuts could curb it while working as a superintendent at Michigan's battle Creek sanitarium. He hit upon a few different healthy eating ideas Two became breakfast staples and one thankfully didn't. So yeah, so one of it was cornflakes. So do people always used to just wake up in the morning and masturbate, and then he, he uh, decided to look for well, the cornflakes. Well, this is this was this was marketed as a healthy, ready-to-eat anti-masturbatory morning meal. Anti-masturbatory. <laughs> 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 wow. What was the ad like? You know, drop your Johnson, you know, pick up the a, old, a, a spoon old, and eat some cornflakes. The only white stuff shooting around in that house is going to be some milk going in that bowl of cereal, mister. <laughs> oh, man. I wonder, did he die like from like a heart attack while he was masturbating? He finally did it and just killed over? The first time, yeah, just all the blood left his body or something. <laughs> the bullet left his head. He passed out and fell down a flight of stairs because he was doing it on the stairs for some reason. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so this guy, uh, yeah. yeah what his brother his, was everybody like masturbating like before like 8 a.m. and he decided I, I just I just I just don't know. That's that was frosted flakes. Nobody wanted the frosted flakes. Was it all morning sex? Is everybody like into morning sex back then? Like no, you're wasting sunlight, man. You gotta you gotta get out there and do the farming while the sun's up. That's but, uh, part, part the brother wanted to add sugar to this, to the, uh, make it more palatable, but John wouldn't hear of it. <laughs> I'll have none of that. Good day, sir. Yeah. So they all, so this is, this guy was just a freaking lunatic. Um, wow. so he got the cereals and the yogurts. That's, that was his thing. Um, but he also, ex- he also supported more extreme measures. Whoa. So for people with particularly nasty masturbation habits, 
For boys, he suggested threading silver wire through the foreskin to prevent erections and cause irritation. For girls, he advocated and sometimes employed an application of carbolic acid to the clitoris to burn it and discourage touching it. That's pretty fucked up. So every time you buy Kellogg's products, you're supporting this lunatic's vision. Yeah, I don't like Kellogg's anymore, man. So as Ski Bum Podcast, we are united. The highfalutin ski bums are united against Kellogg and all of his nonsense, bullshit beliefs. So some of the other Kellogg brands, you got Cocoa Puffs, right? Now, Toucan Sam, he's a crazy guy. He's probably banging everything in sight. What about special, now, what is Special K then? Well, what the hell is the Special K? Where does Apple Jacks fit? Because that's a Kellogg cereal. Apple Jack, just saying, that's pretty <laughs> fucked up. <laughs> Apple Jack, Sugar Smacks, I think that's one of them too, right? Yeah, well, isn't that kind of funny? They're all like kind of sexual you know, connotation. To there's it. some sort of innuendos that are are, are possible to pull out those. Special Dude, K. I'm, I'm not going to yeah. jerk off. I'm going to I'm going to have some apple jacks. <laughs> <laughs> Don't jack yourself. Jack your apples. That's crazy, man. Apple jack. Apple jacks. <laughs> isn't that nuts? Up, like man. I heard, I, I I that's one of the craziest things I've ever heard. But yeah, this dude, it was so crazy. But then I looked it up. I'm like. Freaking uh, National Geographic had it. So this is this is super legit. So you know what? I'm changing our whole stance then. Those guys at uh, Seven Brothers Brewery, fuck them for taking the Kellogg's crap. <laughs> Actually, know. you know what? It's kind of a all right. I'm I'm flipping it again. I'm flip flopping again. Flip it topsy turvy. It's almost it's almost the ultimate kick in the balls to Kellogg for taking his product and turning it into something fun like beer. Oh yeah, they could right? have like they could have like naked sex wrestling in the beer. You're like, yeah. how you like that now, Kellogg? Well, that's certainly going to add some flavor. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit, that's fucking crazy, man. Isn't that nuts? So he never had sex bo- with his wife. So we're boycotting Kellogg's product from now on. I could not honestly tell you the last time I ate cornflakes. Like, how many laws would he break, and how much would he get his ass beat by putting silver wire on somebody, some little kid's penis now? Yeah. It's fucked up, man. Well, you know, they, they say a lot of times people who do terrible things to children had them done to them as children. So you got to wonder what this guy's childhood was like. I'm sure it was not pleasant. I'm sure it was full of a lot of pain and torture and suffering. And I think all that guy would have needed was a hug and be jerked off and he would be a completely different person. He needed happy endings when he needed. He did. That, that would have been, that that been hilarious if he died jerking off, though. That would have been great. Yeah. Finally, he finally gave into it. It's like a moment of weakness. No. This is so amazing. Boom. Freaking heart explodes. That's, hey, if you're going to go, there are worse ways to go. Way to go. Just one massive explosion. <laughs> All your Man. organs explode at once. That's messed up. It's almost like those people spontaneously self combusting. That could be yeah. what happened. That could be. All right. And uh, to wrap up Opry Ski, while we're at Opry Ski, let's talk about where we're going to go drink. So uh, unofficial bar crawl, unofficial network came up with the top 30 Opry spots in the United States. So from 30 to 1, let's go through them. Brian and I will we'll, uh, we'll alternate. We'll go through them quickly. So uh, number 30, the Clock Tower Cellar in Mammoth Lakes, California. So they're saying um, it's an... We can't After, read the de- if we're gonna list all three, we can't read the details. Can't read the details. They say it's a whiskey bar with a lot of whiskey, so that's all I'm gonna say. The North Pole in Mount Bohemia, Minnesota, or Michigan. Sorry, Minnesota. Sorry, Michigan. M I. Very confusing. 
Michigan. What what uh, ski run? What ski area is that near though? Mount Bohemia. Mount Bohemia. All right. Uh, slopes, nightclub, and hotel. Hunter Mountain. Oof. So this is where you can beat the beat back with the Jersey 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 Shore vibe. Can't say Jersey Shore. As someone who technically lives at the Jersey Shore, I'm I'm insulted and embarrassed for these for those people. Now, one of our favorites, the Wobbly Barn at Killington. Yep. It's a great spot. The Wobbly. Very good. Okay. Uh, the Snorting Elk Cellar at Crystal Mountain, Washington. I'll have to ask Nick if he's gone to this place. I'm sure he has. Snorting Elk Cellar. And also Mammoth, because that was his stomping ground for a while. Yeah. Wasn't great. he there last week or something? Uh, he was at A-Basin last week, and he's going to be somewhere in his backyard because the Pacific Northwest, as we'll talk about later, is getting pummeled. Wow. Is he going to Alpenthal or Stevens or something? I think Stevens, yeah. Nice. How about the great Northern Bar and Grill in Whitefish, Montana? Now, I've been, because of the last two Warren Miller films, I've just got a massive, a massive (laughs) non-Kellogg feeling feeling going on. Um, And now, here's another thing, another tip, if anyone is into HGTV, I am not, but I'm on a newsletter. I get the subscription because they do that dream house giveaway all the time, a couple times a year. Um, the one that's coming up in like a week that's starting is in Whitefish, Montana, and it is fucking gorgeous and in a perfect spot. So, hey, if we don't win and you guys win and you want to invite us to come party there before you sell it, because pretty much everyone who wins those things always ends up selling them. Let us know and hit us up, skibumpodcast at gmail.com. We're not going to sell it. We're keeping that thing. Dude, that would be our new studio. Did that, the outdoor part, the outdoor is like this huge, it's probably bigger than my, like more square footage in my house of like this like outdoor deck. It's so cool. Yeah, right, I got to look it up. I'll move there. I'll move in a heartbeat. Hell yeah. God damn, dude, that stone. I ate a half a stone before we started this podcast. I'll tell you what, it's like, it's doing well. I feel uh I feel like, you know, Kellogg worthy. <laughs> um, he would not approve of stolen. There's too much happiness approve. and marzipan in there. You can't deal with that. It's all the goodness right inside, right in the belly, man. It's like, I want to bulk up. This is what you do. Beefcake. All right, number, beefcake. <laughs> uh, number 24, the cave, Bretton Woods, New Hampshire. How about Garfinkel's in Vail, Colorado? Hey, I've been there. There you go. There's the Garfinkels in Whistler too. Yeah. That we've been to. Cool. Club. Uh, number 22, Grizzly Ridge in Bridger Bowl, Montana. How about General Stark's Pub in Mad River Glen, Vermont? Sweet. I wonder what like, their tap looks like. They must have a good tap list. Dude, I'm looking at it. I'm seeing Sip of Sunshine on draft there. <sighs> yummy, yummy. Yep. See Lawson's. Uh, number 20, Montana Jack at Big Sky, Montana. Known as Whiskey Jacks. Nice. How about the club car in Mary Jane, Colorado? That just sounds like a lot of weed going on. <laughs> <laughs> Allegedly. All right. Number 18, the Matterhorn in Stowe, Vermont. I have been there, and that place is fantastic. Tremendous nice. beers on draft. It's like the first bar when you get off the mountain. It's, it's a party. It's great. 
Oh, huh. that's me now. The rat scaler in government camp, Oregon. How many rat scalers are there? I know my, my mother-in-law, like town she lives in, there's one next to her. Really? Like it's, it's one of those like old school names that they probably came over on like the Mayflower and like, well, what are we going to do? Well, let's open a bar. It, it's such a pretty name. Pretty sounding name. Rat scaler. Yeah. <laughs> Rap scallions. Rap scallions. 16, the Trap Bar and Grill in Grand Targhee, Wyoming. Did we go? No, we didn't go to Grand Targhee. No, we, we blew it. We blew it. We killed ourselves those first two days in Jackson. Yeah, we, no. we had too much fun. <laughs> literally, trees. literally too much fun. Yes. Yeah, we had trees in the bumps for that. Yeah. How about the Avalanche in Crested Butte, Colorado? They actually have a bar webcam, so you can check it out now if you want to. Oh, that'd be awesome! To so you can eat your you can eat your cornflakes. You sitting there and just watch the uh, the bar bar cam. I'm I'm marking that on my. Uh, I'm, I'm saving the URL. All right, the foggy goggle at Sunday River. Um, is it Maine? Yep. Any? All of my. How about the Grizzlies there at Stratton, Vermont? In there, our pal. Our pal Rich is is uh, always got his his crew up there. Right. All right. Uh, then we got Charlie's Mountain View in Government Camp Oregon as well. We're by Mount Hood. That's the second one in Government Camp Oregon. I think that's the first the first uh, town that's had two two that uh, is. in there, isn't it? That's a, the first resort and first town. Yeah. Yeah. How about the Owl Bar in Sundance, Utah? Nice. Get your 3% beers on draft there. Party. <laughs> All right, number 10. This place, uh, hopefully they have stolen and glue on there. The Bavarian in Taos, New Mexico. Dude, that looks fantastic. That's the place that's going to has to be on the list now with places yeah, they have to get to. Yeah, they have the girl in a Durandale. I'm sure they got, I don't know, hopefully uh, they got a little... It's a variant theme, so the place itself looks awesome. It has like the big, uh, you know, like the lions with the. I was gonna say sigil. I'm thinking about Game of Thrones now. But the, uh, the the crest there with the Bavarian flag and sigil. So we were cool. we were talking a lot of Game of Thrones before this. So. Yeah, it looks like a little chalet. Yeah, right. But the min the Minturn Saloon in Minturn, Colorado. Nice. All right, we're in top 10 now. So now, Alieska, Alaska has the Sismark Bar and Grill. Mm. Sismark Bar and Grill. Now, if you're in Alaska, that's pretty dope to begin with. So You're already crushing it. Yeah, nice. Now, the next two, we have both been to together, so we can attest how awesome they are. And number seven, the Garano Ranch in Telluride. That place is just fantastic because they have barbecue. They have usually bands playing. They got great beers. You're sitting outside. The weather's good. It's just, it's yeah. such a great spot. Great well, they have all those, all those out of Rondack chairs and people just sit out. It's so sunny. And you just sit there and just bake in the sun while the dude's like crunching on his, on his guitar. It's great. Yeah. It's I actually believe known as gonorrhea range. It's right? yes. I was going to bring that up. It's, <laughs> it's not a, not the best nickname for it nor is it applicable in most circumstances, but it is a wonderful spot. It's too hard to say Garano, like gonorrhea. It makes, it's, it makes sense. Well, gonorrhea just rolls off the tongue. <laughs> it just rolls off. 
Uh, and then Teton Village by Jackson Hall is the mangy moose. Yeah. In there. Oh. Place gets packed. My place gets, even on like a Tuesday, it gets jammed. Yeah. Yeah. I believe we had some really good nachos there, didn't we? Nachos were good. The, they're known for their wings. The wings are pretty good. Um, but yeah, their nachos, I think, were the top notch. They had the pulled pork or whatever you got on them. Oh, they were so good. Yeah. <clears throat> Next up, I'm at the T Bar in Steamboat, Colorado. Nice. All right, number four, the Cloud Nine Alpine Bistro in Aspen Highlands, Colorado. Rolling into the, uh, we're on the podium now. Number three, Grumpy's Sun Valley, Idaho. Ooh. All right. And then number two, the Peruvian at Alta ski area in Utah. I have been to that. And that place, again, yeah, it's like, oh my God, it's such a classic, old school, epic place. And when we were there, it was, it was, tell the time of year was it? I think it was February ish, but it was like a, like a Tuesday or a Wednesday and it was just empty. It was well, not empty, but it was like 10 people there. It was great. Oh, cool. Oh yeah. Number one out in Squaw Valley, home with Johnny Mosley. It is Le Chamis, also known as the Chamois. Located just yards off KT 22, the greatest trail in the known universe is one of the best watering holes on planet earth. Offers wow. up hot sake. And on spring afternoon, the sun deck becomes a who's who of Olympic skiers, professional snowboarders, and industry legends. Damn. Yes. So there's your your top 30 from the good folks at Unofficial Network. So thanks for providing that. And now you have a couple places. Actually, pretty much whatever region you're in, there is somewhere you can you can roll into after a good day of skiing or boarding. That could be a year-long bar crawl right there. That would be a fun journey. Right? Yeah. Especially because I guess I like Alyeska on there too. Yeah. Well, I mean, you could skip Hunter. Let's be honest. If you need to, if you had to do 29, good one. You to gotta miss. see it. You know, if you've never been there, you gotta see it. Cause it's like, you just gotta see it. You may want to try to unsee it after, but you gotta have that experience. Yeah. But again, People. you had to do 29. That's yeah. scratching off the old list. <laughs> All right. So with that, let's get into the Genjula. So our buddy Frank sent us instead of a smokable or some kind of strain. Um, he's talking this week. He sent us the Temple Extracts White Fire. So uh, Temple Hot Fire. Brand. Hot Fire. <laughs> White Hot Fire. Um, so Temple's the brand, and they make the extracts, and Whitefire is the hybrid uh, in the OG family, known for its relaxation and euphoric effects. So the extraction methods leave the CO2-free toxic chemicals, you know, free of toxic chemicals like PEG, known for its, its you know, relaxing and euphoric effects. Not a lot. Of, so they're saying 60, 60% uh, sativa hybrid with uplifting and comfortable uh, cerebral focused effects. So the strain combines the best features of its parent strains, the sour earthy diesel aromas of fire OG and the high resin production of the white that leaves the plants covered in a dusty snowball of crystals. So it sounds very snowy. It sounds very relaxing and it sounds very euphoric. Um, saying 
It's uh, daytime use of this strain won't leave the consumer drowsy, making a good choice for the social and creative activities. Um, often chosen by patients to treat anxiety, depression, cancer, glaucoma, pain, and appetite loss. And yeah, they say they raise these in uh, outdoors or inside with a 60 day, 65 day flowering period. Very cool. So these are, um, I guess it's just an extract and you just, you put it on your tongue, you could put it in stuff, you could put it in other people's stuff and watch the show. And yeah, we sort of mentioned it before referring to, you know, some of the, the big tobacco and or big liquor companies getting into cannabis. The tobacco companies are also starting to get into cannabis. Marlboro owner Altria invests $1.8 in cannabis company Kronos. This was, this was big news. They, they announced that they're going to have a 45% stake in the company with an option for Altria to increase its stake to 55% over the next five years. Wow. Means they'll just take over the whole company. Yeah. That's kind of what we were talking about before how they were, you know, it was almost expected that, you know, all these, as soon as there became a tipping point where legalization seemed imminent, all the hard work, the entrepreneurs did people who fought for legalization, those people would be kind of exhausted at this point. And then the big, the big companies would roll in and just kind of swoop in and, and, you know, make the money off of it in the long run. Which, you know, it it's it kind of sucks in that regard, but it's also good because it is showing that, you know, when big companies like this who are listed on the stock exchange and have, you know, real shareholders and shareholder meetings that they believe enough in this future that they're investing money in it. So, you know, it, it definitely has both sides of the story if you depending on how you wanna look at it. But yeah, this is this is big, and this is not going to be the last one by any stretch of the imagination. I think this is all we're going to see the next two years, um, up to the next presidential election, is more and more of these these smaller cannabis companies getting you know big chunks of uh, of investment into their ownership. It's funny how all all of them invested, you know, a good chunk, but like you know, for not a controlling share of the company, but they all probably have the option to buy up controlling share of the company, you know, after a few years. So it's kind of like, it's funny to see like they're in, but not all the way in yet. Yeah. Yeah, They're they're hedging their bets. And, you know, assuming that, you know, progress continues in legalization efforts, they're going to be like, yeah, we're going to exercise that option and take over this whole company. And if it doesn't, then they're like, you know what, what's one and a half billion to us. Yeah. But as an industry, yeah, but as an industry, it gives it like legitimacy that people are like really putting a lot of money towards it and seeing a future in it. Oh yeah, big time. That makes it's real legitimacy. All right. So next up, uh, there's a lawsuit that now is being um, pursued in Utah, and they're saying the lawsuit claims that medical marijuana law was weakened by unconstitutional domination and interference by the Mormon Church. Uh-huh. So medical cannabis advocates were outraged by Monday's passage of Proposition 2 replacement law. So I guess they introduced a law to replace the law that actually got voted in. And they're saying uh, Utah legislature abridged the rights of voters in an effort to appease appease the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, a.k.a. Mormons. Um, So they filed a complaint, and they're going to fight this, basically saying that it was unconstitutional for them to introduce this on top of the law that got passed. So 
Uh, I think it's interesting. Uh, this has happened with a lot of other stuff. I think a lot of other states where they pass something and that doesn't mean that what got passed gets put into law. And I think something has to be done about it. So I'm glad to see that they have a lawsuit challenging this. Yeah. You know, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago after it passed, how, you know, there was multiple versions that they had on the ballot and then the one version passed. And then the one that did, they were like, yeah, well, we're going to change this. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is for you can't just go doctoring things up just to your liking. But, uh, yeah, that is uh, the, some of the nicest people are Mormons, which is crazy. But the religion is absolutely batshit crazy. And it's so crazy because we actually know the history of the person who created it. Like he was a legitimate real person. I think he was born in Vermont, wasn't he? Either Vermont or upstate New York because there's all kinds of signs saying this is the birthplace of Joseph Smith. But yeah, he was a little, a little liar and a little asshole. And he made up the story. And these adorable people decided to follow him and, uh, and believe what he said. So. And back then, I could have done some damage. I could have had people like worshiping me. It would have been fucking crazy. <laughs> could have been. You could have been that guy. But here, here's here's the balls of these people, right? So they came out during a special session, and the legislators claimed, "quote The prerogative to decide policy of the state, irrespective of law created through a citizens' initiative." Uh, they're arguing the suit points to remarks by um, Merrill, Merrill Nelson. Republican Grantsville, who said, we have the right to override what the people do by initiative. You don't have any rights to override. Let's say that in their, um, in their, is that their goofy 94th commandment in their Mormon religion? It's just fucked up. So they're saying, you know, they're saying the state constitution actually prohibits Utah legislature from materially undermining or repealing an amendment. Um, The core purposes of legislation passed through the initiative process, which is what they actually did. So they, they passed, you know, something, you know, by the core process and then the legislature just decided to amend it. And basically, you know, they undermined it in, in, you know, materially under undermined it. So I, I think, I think they should be kicked in their ass for it. Isn't that beautiful too? This is, this is what, what this really is, is religion which is slowly losing its grasp on control because of their loss of information because religion has always been, had this stranglehold on information and that's what they kind of would use to control people. And now they're losing that. And this is probably one of these last gasps to hold on to that control because when you are in Utah and they legalize cannabis and you start using it, you're going to start questioning your stupid ass religion and going, yeah, this Joseph Smith guy, he was a con artist. Why am I following this nonsense when I'm getting all this new valuable information from mother cannabis that's giving me this, this new path to start searching out knowledge. And they're, they're know they know it's going to happen. They're just trying to have that last gasp of control over the people and it's just it's gonna fail miserably. it's it's the only possibility you know the thing that pisses me off about this though is you know this this story is about cannabis what else have they done this about and this is based on you know you elect somebody into office and this is why people need to fucking wake up and actually go out and vote and find out what people are all about because yeah it's just because they run on a few platforms of x y and z who are they really because now when push comes to shove you voted something in that this person, because of their own personal beliefs, they're going to come out and say, no, nah, we don't think that should be put in because 
the people, you know, basically they're saying the people that voted me in and voted on this law are assholes and they don't know what's good for them. I know what's better for them. So I'm going to make sure that, you know, I do it in the right way to help them. I'm, I'm trying to save them. You know, people don't want to be fucking saved. They elected you to do what they say and they voted this in. Do what the fuck they say. You work for them. You yeah. Work for yourself. It's arrogant. Bullshit. It's arrogance and control. Those are the, they're, they're extremely arrogant and they have, they think they're in this position of power over people and they don't want to lose that. So they're doing everything they can to, to keep that power in place. Well, if you look at it, it's like a, um, it's a behind the scenes effort for, you know, churches and big organizations to get pull and get their way in legislature and in law and be able to do whatever they want. And you got to start looking at that and you got to vote it out because what happens is like a cancer. They want to get in there just to institute their own version of what they believe should be instituted on everybody else. And that's not, you know, so even though you got to look at the candidates and you got to vote, I mean, it's really important. People don't realize how important it is. They have an agenda. You're for it. You know, if you're for it and you want to vote that guy, go right ahead. That's fine. But understand that this is what's going to happen. Yep. And it could be something like, you know, polluting the earth more or getting rid of skiing or getting rid of snowboarding, making banning snowboarding. You know, what, who knows? Possible. Somebody has their own personal agenda. Testify. Yep. Testify. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh. That wraps up the old, the old gondola. Let's go to ski news. Now, we all know about November. You know how epic that was everywhere. And December hasn't been quite as as dumpy all over the place. But certain places are starting to get slaughtered. So one of the big ones, Pacific Northwest, Whistler's gotten 65 inches in the last seven days. And I think they're getting a little bit more up there. But how about the Alps? They're getting huge snowfalls to start off this season as well. They're showing, um, in this article, they're showing Maribel in France. They're showing Avronaz in Switzerland. And they're saying they've each got about 80 centimeters of snowfall, nearly three feet of snow since the start of the week. That, and temperatures have dropped 10 degrees. So it's staying cold. They're getting pounded with snow. And they're about to have a, an epic start to their holiday season. Cause that's loving it. The, the big, the majority of the European skiers and I guess skiers over here too start to really get into the, the full swing of things. Well, they're actually saying uh, Davos closed its, its slopes on Sunday and Val uh, canceled the men's slalom world cup races. Uh, but ladies parallel slalom at San Moritz went ahead because of uh, high winds and snow. So isn't that funny? That's gotta be pretty badass to cancel world cup races. I mean, Big deal. Seriously, right? Yeah. Oh, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. It's only getting better. Yeah. Got to get out there. All right, Brian, what's, what's the next one on the agenda? I know you, you, you were talking about this one before. All right. So this just came out, I think it was today, today or yesterday, from the good folks at Magic Mountain, which was rated number one in Ski Magazine's top resorts. Numero uno. They are, they've announced that they are going to have their second annual tuck it dash for cash. And this is going to be one of magic's trilogy of unsanctioned extreme events 
I love how they bill it as an unsanctioned extreme, extreme like it's extreme event is not unsanctioned anyway, but it's I love like, it. Like the first uh, mixed martial arts fights where it's like a bunch of people <laughs> eating the shit out of each other in a parking lot. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So the, what's the backyard brawls? The um. Oh God, that backyard wrestling stuff. Like when you. Uh, what was that show with Shrinkery? With what? Oh, oh. Some dogs. Um. Dog fight, wasn't that it? Dog fight, D A W G fight on uh, is that on Netflix? Yeah, Netflix. That was Billy Corbin, the guy who did Cocaine that's Cowboy. Messed. Yeah, dude, that's freaking messed up. Oof. Yeah, these guys just setting up rings in their backyard, just beating the hell out of each other. But stuff you don't know goes on in your neighborhood, man. That's crazy. Yeah, this is like the dog fight on the mountain. Sort of, a little, a little <laughs> more civilized. You'd like to think nobody's dying from that one, right? Well, well hopefully, hopefully not. So they're doing this on New Year's Eve and what they're going to have at Magic, they're going to have their second annual Tucket Skiing and Snowboard Speed Event. It's a radar-gunned highest mile-per-hour dash for cash hosted Damn. by that craft brewery Coors Light and with additional sponsors, blah, blah, blah. $1,500 total cash prize will be on the line as well as the trophy for fastest skier or snowboarder in the East. Didn't they try doing this as like an Olympic event or as like an extreme sporting event? I think they had it as like one of those, was it, what do they call like demo events or trial events? I think they canceled because somebody got killed or something, right? Yeah. Oh, they're those weird, like dumb and dumber, like triangle helmets that they would wear. I'm looking at now. Speed team is a sport. It is. It's a real sport now. So they're, they're kind of talking about how it's unsanctioned and they're saying that there's no governing body for it. So it's, uh, and we crashed ice. It was in the same boat, man. And now it's, they are using uh fish. Was it fish ice originally? That's, that's right. Do cool. you got to get Red Bull on board on this or monster energy? Be the counter to the Red Bull. Oh, that's the move. That's the move. What was the one? It wasn't like liquid cocaine. Wasn't that like one of the energy drinks back in the day? Dude, four locos. Yeah, why do you have a four loco uh, extreme speed skiing competition? Ah, uh, it's Urban Ski Week. <laughs> All right. Oh, here we go. Um, speed skiing was was a demonstration sport in the 1992 uh, Albertville Games, and during that demonstration, French speed skier Nicolas Bache died after crashing into a grooming machine during a practice run. Into a grooming machine? Oof. Yeah. And that was apparently all the IOC needed to know about speed skiing and the sport hasn't been seen at the Olympics since. Nice job, Dick. Way to go, Dick. Learn it forever. Did you just fall? <laughs> Learn how to ski, bro. Uh, Not cool at all. Damn. all right, what they're saying is that it's one o'clock on New Year's Eve, pure speed, straight down the course, radar gunned, competitors all in a tuck position to achieve the highest mile per hour. The course starts on lower black line with a speed zone radar gun section on Hocus Pocus, all viewable from Magic's base lodge and deck with live feed video available in the tavern. There will be a mile per hour readout display for each speed racer for all spectators to see from the radar gun section. Multiple age categories for prizes as well as... um, it's an event to test anyone's personal record for speed while on skis or snowboard. First prize, thousand bucks and a pair of custom designed silo skis. Three hundred fifty bucks for second prize, 
and third plot third prize 150 bucks and a helmet and a f- couple lift tickets Fourth prize a set of steak knives yeah <laughs> right abc baby always be cruising <laughs> always be cruising I like that so they have different different uh, age categories there's a 10 to 14 year old category Damn. Kind of like that. They're kind of like, yeah, these little kids. Let's just, and I'm wondering, so I'm wondering, like, is it better to strap weights to yourself? Like, do you want more weight for more speed? I would think so. Right. I think the fatter you are, the better you are. Just like, yeah, that's right. Just freaking get the Kool-Aid man on skate skis and just freaking go. So they have like, they have a 10 to 14 year old category, a 15 to 20 year old category, a 21 to 29, a 30 to 49 and a 50 plus. So as someone who falls into the 30 to 49, I think that's way too big of a range. That's a huge range. Yeah. Dude, I, I just got to wait another, another year or two. And I'm, I'm, o- I'm over into the 50 plus. I'm the young guy then. Yeah. So you got to do it when you turn 50. Yeah. Leave yeah. the young gun in there. I got to yeah. practice now. If you're 48. You're going against 30 year olds. Dude, that's not even, that's not right. Dude, I would crush 30 year olds in other sports because people don't keep themselves in great shape. For, and then other ones just crush me because they're young and crossfit and shit. That's right. Yeah. So this is going to be, uh, this is pretty awesome. So they're going to have the top mile per hour speed. When they're saying last year, they hit excess of 70 and they're hoping this year they expect to hit over 80. See now I hit 71.8 in Telluride. Dude, you could do this, man. I, I might have to. And that was on do this. Dude, you already bailed out on crashed ice on me. You got to do this. Listen, we watched that dash cam last week. That was terrifying. That was really terrible. Was that last week or the week before? Uh, it was. That was no. last week. So we gotta give it was a- last week. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out to Cameron Nas, our boy, who, uh, who won who won the uh, the crash dice event over there in Yokohama, yeah. Japan. He had a a uh, bit of a tough second race there. Came from behind, got the win, and uh, went on to to just you know level the competition. He was he was. A badass like usual. So congrats, Cam. Sweet. Yeah, that was and really sweet. So if you go on Red Bull TV, you can watch the 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 recap of the event. And they have in the beginning, they have the guy who was like the junior champion do a GoPro um of the whole course. Yeah. You get a real perspective of what the course looks like. And that initial goddamn drop. All right, you know what? If you have a drop like that and you're on skis, you have a lot more a lot more leverage to land on and to balance yeah. yourself out when you're on a pair of hockey skates. Holy shit, dude, the way they just bomb out of that thing. And when you watch them, you realize that the start is probably 60% of that race. If you get out ahead, it's, yeah. it's tough to catch up, but our boy Cameron, his big thing is he's able to just zoom out of the gate. I mean, that's, that's his probably one yeah. of his strongest skill sets. Yeah. Cool. Great bunch of runs there. It was awesome. He was, he was, he's dedicated, man. Like just talking to him, you could see he's super mellow, but you can tell there's like a, there's like a real intensity to him. And he really showed it at that race. I mean, he, uh, he, he wanted it bad. He won. So it was, it was great to see. So congrats, Cam. Yeah. Congrats. I tell you, you know, that demo where he goes, you, you take that initial drop, which is terrifying. And then, they have a jump and you know, when you're watching the event, you're like, Oh, it's a little bump. They come off and they do like a little jump. When the guy does it, he looks down and you see, it's like this freaking divot, like this, this hole that he's jumping over. I'm like, Holy crap. It doesn't look like that, you know, from down below. 
But when they're jumping over it, it is jumping over like a pretty big crevasse. It's pretty funny. I just had the greatest idea ever. How about crash dites at Corbett's Couloir? <sighs> yeah. Go down. Dude, launch yeah, up ice that up. thing. Ice up Corbett's. <laughs> because, you know, it's not, it's not terrifying and scary enough, right? Why couldn't they do that uh, scary? Ice, ice up. up part of the thing. Ice up Corbett's before a big snowfall rolls in and do uh, a crash dice there. Dude, that'd be the whole winter circuit. They just ice up a piece of the um, of one of the runs and that's it. Good of course. Yeah. Nice. I like it. <laughs> Crazy. Could you All right, so I want to do Corbett's on ice skates. Oof. It's freaking Ooh. terrifying enough on skis. What's the other one at? Um, I think it's Whistle, the amphitheater. You do that, ice that up. Let's go right down. Launch off there. Yeah. Symphony ball or whatever it is. Dude, seven, seven, I hit 71.8 miles an hour. So I'll, I, I don't know how accurate that was. I'm going to give it to you, but I don't know. I was, you sure it wasn't while you were driving home? I was, <laughs> I was moving, my friend. I was, I was hauling it. I was terrified for my life a little bit. Just a little bit. I was wondering about those apps. I'm like, how accurate are they? I believe they're one. They might be actually a little bit undergunning. I think I could have been in 73 miles an hour and they just were trying to rob me. There you go. Undergunning. Dude, I kind of want to do this now. Dude, you, you're drive away, man. You should do it. I think you should do it. Open registration. What do you do on New Year's? Just do it, man. Yeah, it's true. I probably should just Dude, do it. In the day. Get a chance to be famous. You get on TV. I do the triple tuck tuck. You could uh, wear all the apparel that we have available at the Highfalutin Ski Bum shop now. So you can wear that to demo it for everybody. Oh, is that if you go to skibumpodcast.com slash shop? I believe that is. It is, right? You go there, you have the cool hats, you have the cool shirt. I'm wearing one of the shirts right now. Look at you. Dude, that actually would be some of the best advertising ever, wouldn't it? If I, uh, if I did that. I think you're going to have to do it. Or we're going to have to pay somebody to do it. That's right. <laughs> We'll, we'll give them their entry and then make them wear all our stuff. That would be freaking awesome. Cool. Does it say how much to sign up? I don't think we see any numbers here, do we? Oh, there's a link. There's a link on their site. There it is. Magicmountain.com slash events dash one slash tuck it two. Sign up. Sign up before it's two eight. All right. So let's move on. So next up, um, Liptopia came out with their toughest ski runs in North America, part due. So they came out with one. Uh, I don't remember when they came out with the first one, but uh, the first one they said they focused on steep shoots, mandatory air, you know, bragging rights kind of stuff. Uh, they said part two, they gave a different evaluation. Um, they said they're tough in their own ways. So they kind of categorized them. So uh, most challenging bump runs, they said, um, uh, Telluride, uh, Telluride, Colorado, they said the plunge may have the, the cameo. What about and, and what? What about the East Coast bump run? Oh, let's see. Oh, you didn't know? I didn't know. Ooh, how about a little Outer Limits at Killington? They gave Outer Limits the East Coast? Let's see. Yeah, right below the picture. Most challenging bump runs. Boom. Yep, power limits. Thousand feet of vert. Yeah, that's a pretty uh a bump. You know, when you do it enough, it 
devastating, but first time you go on it, you're like, holy shit, there's a lot of bumps. Dude, those bumps are ridiculous in size and they just, it's such a long run. It just burns you out. The best part is like the first time you go on it, you're on there for like a half, that's like a half hour of your day. You're just sweating and stopping, <laughs> doing a few bumps and cursing and bitching. And then after you do it enough, you're like, All right, I'm good with, you know, you get used to the bumps and you're like, yeah, I can do that. And, you know, you know what, after you do that run, you go on like a, something that's like kind of groomed out and you just rip down it because yeah. you're so you're, you're jumping the trees. so ready to go. I'll oh, jump the trees after that. Yeah. It's a blast. Yeah. So saying, uh, Telluride had the plunge, which we were on, I believe. Um, Sharon Allen, count my, uh, let's see. <clears throat> They're saying Taos has uh, Cooper's um, Outer Limits and Killington. So it's kind of a mixed mixed bag of stuff all over the place. But they they list out a lot of the uh, the good good runs at each resort. So uh, if you've been on all of them, I'm, I'd be hugely impressed. And I'm sure there's some people out there that have. Um, I'd be lucky to get maybe ten percent of these on under my belt. Some of these are really cool. Like they were showing um they're uh the ones that require inbound terrain requiring Avi gear. And they're showing Alieska, obviously, which makes sense. But then they're showing parts of Banff Sunshine Village. Like that oh, wow. Delirium Dive and the Wild West. And they're showing pictures of it. I mean, that looks so awesome. They are requiring full heavy pack here. Wow. Yeah, they show that the Wild West, which is kind of like a, looks kind of like a shoot. And it just looks, I mean, like perfectly, like just wide enough where you can actually make your turn, but it just looks beautiful. I love that. Most challenging traverse. They're saying Alta. I remember we were at Snowbird. They had a huge traverse across that whole lip of the bowl. Oh, the mineral basin. Yeah, that was how many of our friends just didn't make it. <laughs> and there's always some dickhead who's like ripping through there. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's a little avalanche there. It's pretty, pretty interesting. Yeah, that's pretty badass. I like uh most unexpected challenge, and they have Snow King listed there. And I remember seeing Snow King, and I'm like, oh, so that's right here by Jackson, but we're going up to Jackson Holdo ski, you know. Snow King it looked really cool. I mean, they have night skiing there too, didn't they? Yeah, they did. And there's that one really big, I guess they said a lot of people, a lot of the, um, what are they saying? Some big competition was there and they, they had a lot of people were, um, were practicing on snowking. That one big run. Most challenging entire ski area, Mount Bohemia. Wow. They're saying it's kind of and, that was, and that was where one of the 29 best opera ski bars was that's right talk about silverton too yeah, did you silverton. watch the last you did you see last year's warren miller line of descent because mm-hmm. they had a whole bit on silverton there Damn. one chairlift is all it has and it's just a wide open playground you got the heli there it just silverton just looks so awesome yeah some people from the ski club did that for one day Instead of you take the chair, you hike a bunch, and then you go down. And you do it all day. Yeah. All day. Lift, hike. They had a thing they just announced, and I think I uh, we retweeted it, and they liked it from Silverton. I think they were saying the heli trips, the 169 per trip. 
that's not bad at all. You could pop up, you know, well, you know, one time for one six nine, but you would do it two, three times a day or two, maybe do it twice and then do the rest hiking in the chairlift. So you can kind of break it up in the day instead of having to do like all day heli or all day, you know, just on the chair, you could maybe do one or two. Yeah, it's not bad. Yeah. So it's pretty cool. They have that ability to to do that. You run to get warmed up and then hit the heli. Yeah, right. Most challenging ski area section. Part one started in Colorado at Crested Butte with Rambo, North America's steepest cut run. And then appropriately enough, the resort's North Face bookends this look at tough runs. The North Face has hosted numerous extreme skiing events going back to the American genesis of the competitions in 1992. So, Crested Butte. Butte. Butte it up. So, pretty kick-ass list there, Liftopia. And speaking of things that are not extreme, unless you're talking about extremely expensive, the Snowmass Club in a little place called Aspen has sold for $18.5 million. Whoa. Yes. ABA Hospitality on Thursday closed on the venerable private club from Pole Golf for $18.5 million. That's not bad. Uh, It's a 64,000 square foot main clubhouse that will receive an overhaul under the new ownership group which also includes a silent partner. They've got a design team looking at the facility and they're giving a, uh, they're looking at a blueprint and how they're going to renovate it. The original building has good bones and it was inspired by the hotel in Zurs, Austria, according to Jim Light, who was part of the team that developed the original Snowmass club nearly 40 years ago. It was on a trip to Zurs with Jim Chafin, a longtime development partner, that the Aspen Ski Company executive, Jerry Bland, uh, the men spied a huge elk rack hanging prominently in the Hotel Zurishof Lobby. Upon further inspection, they noticed the elk had been harvested in snowmass some 5,300 miles away. Uh, so they kind of got, they learned about the guy who hunted it. He was an Austrian guy who was visiting Aspen and was a skier. And they Spoke to him and learned about it and rebuilt this snowmass club based on that. Uh, but now they're going to clean it up a bit. They said the original one cost about 10 to 11 million to develop in 1980 and 81. First ownership group included 25 or 26 limited partners. And people each invested 50 to $750,000 as early, uh, as early partners to it. Wow. Got a golf, clo- uh, golf course, tennis club, pool, workout area, hotel. So it's going to be interesting to see how that club evolves there. Um, it was purchased from Seco in 2013. All right. So next up we have, if anybody hasn't seen Instagram or Facebook or the news on skiing for the last week, um, you really missed out because this thing was everywhere. Or you were uh, just skiing so much that you didn't have time to look at it. Nonsense. Hopefully that's what was happening. Uh, so there's a frightening incident at Kaltenbach, Austria, uh, in Kaltenbach, Austria, uh, several 10 passenger gondolas, uh, on the Wimbach express at Hochziller 
Zillertal got hung up on a tower and collided into one another. Looks like a bunch of grapes hanging from a vine. It's like they just went one after the other, just crashing into each other. One got hung up and they all just kept coming. It was, it looks crazy. So uh, they're saying a strong storm uh, was raging across the Alps and that played a role in the incident. Um, they're saying nobody was injured. And according to reports, the gondola cars were empty at the time. So I don't know if they were just running it um, or what, but uh, whew, it looks terrifying. Got like these five cars just plowed into each other by a post by one of those uh, ski poles. You know, the uh, lift poles. New lift, right? I think it was new and they were, re- and they were running it. That's what I thought. It doesn't say this in the... Uh, Brand new lift. Yeah, like, uh, let's get those bugs kind of worked out before we start getting people in there. You know, somebody's running, but like, is that bad? Yeah, it's not supposed to do that. Oh, my God. It's freaking terrifying. Well, hey, you know, everybody's doing Agile. They're like, oh, we'll fix it on the fly. We'll do the DevOps. We'll, we'll fix it on the fly. This is the exact problem with DevOps. You don't want to do that. You know what? I guess that's, uh, that the, that's not the way to do it. Want the, you, want, you prefer the waterfall method there. Exactly. Or the actual... Oh, we'll fix it on the fly. You know? Yeah, no, you, you can't fix death on the fly. How about the actually working method? Yeah. One. How, how about we test it before people get on that fucking thing? We're big fans of that. Big fan. All right. And lastly, here's a little story from the good folks at Powder about how to stay safe by staying sharp on avalanche safety. And this came out a few weeks ago, but it's a nice, a nice way to, to kind of prepare before getting out there into the mountains, how to prepare yourself, how to get ready. And it's the first thing they talk about is getting the book, staying alive in avalanche terrain by Bruce temper Tremper. I'm sorry. He was the director of the Forest Services Utah Avalanche Center for almost 30 years. And it's essential reading for all backcountry users, even for those who have already taken a level one. It's the perfect preseason refresher and is often part of a curriculum for advanced classes. They also have the Solomon Mountain Academy, which exists to educate consumers after their gear purchase and encourage and prepare them to take a course. Not as a substitute for a level one avalanche class, but the first two courses are free for those who purchased MTN collection gear, but is also available as a resource for those who aren't buying new equipment via their website. Each course, Snow Safety Essentials and Deeper into the Backcountry are $29 per course and consist of several lessons and videos along with practice questions. Solomon also directs proceeds to local avalanche forecasting centers in the community consumers bought the products another one backcountry access has their five backcountry basics video tutorials if you're still getting prepared to get out there and you know you're, you're going maybe you're an east coast skier and you're ready to go out west it's great and really important and you know to to really be on top of this and make sure you're prepared because preparation is absolutely vital in if you're going to be in you know skiing in deep snow out in the back country because you see how many people die every year and you 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 have to think that a significant number were unnecessary and 
using the right techniques and having the right preparation could have prevented it. So, you know, it's worth spending a little time and a couple bucks if it means you stay alive and get to ski and be with your loved ones another day. So nice. Yeah. Force people to do it, but you really do need to weigh the pros and cons and realize how important this information is. All right. Now we're on to the main topic. Yes, sir. So what is our Our main topic is uh, kind of along the lines of what we were just talking about, about avalanche safety, being prepared for where you're going. Uh, We're talking about how you're planning a ski trip, uh, kind of the ski bum way. Um, We do things our own way. So let's uh, figured we could talk about that today because I know you're getting ready for a trip. I'm starting to look at trips in January. Got two of them planned. uh, One of which hopefully we'll be skiing together, hanging out. So. Uh, but you got one coming up Monday, right? Yeah, we're um, we're heading on up. We're doing a little road trip. We're going to get up and uh, head up to Vermont and do a little skiing up there. And, you know, uh, it's it's not late to get started, but it's later than I prefer. But, you know, yeah. there was a lot of logistical and a lot of a lot of a lot of things have happened this year in real life that have prevented me from getting out there a little bit sooner than I wanted to, but you know, it's, it's all going to be worth it getting up there. It's the conditions look great. It's going to be cold. You know, we're not looking, it's not looking like too much power is going to be in our fortune, in our, you know, in our future, but you know what it's, you know, as we've talked about it with, with skiers almost exclusively, every time we talk to someone, you know, you, you really just are, you take it, you take what you get, you know, you, you take the day you get and, just to have a sunny, cold day. And, you know, again, you don't have a foot of powder, but you have you have snow. You have snow. You have friends, family that you're out there with. I mean, it's it's the greatest thing. It's such a, a lucky, beautiful privilege to be out there to ski or snowboard. So, you know, we're, uh, we're you know, me and, and Andrea, we're going up there. We're dumping off the little guy at his grandmother's. So it's just going to be us, like, going old school again. Um, I'm, I cannot wait. I'm so excited to get out there. And your planning this year is involving not just equipment, but logistics of like, you know, where are you going to do with your son? What, you know, what long is going to watch him? Like the logistics of getting there and stuff, right? Yeah. And you know, I mean, I can't wait for him to, to get out there. Like I'm super excited about that. And next year we're probably going to throw him out there and (laughs) get him started. But this year he's just too little and you know, it's just can't happen quite yet. I'd love to get him on like at least one run, throw him in the backpack and take him down the run, but it keeps getting frowned upon by the uh, mother bear, but we'll see if I can maybe kidnap him up there for a run. But yeah, so, so one of the things that, you know, that I always find important and, you know, it's so funny if we talk to different people, especially non skiers and boarders is I went out this week and I posted on Instagram. I posted my, uh, I got snow tires for my, my car. So we, well, my, our family car. So we, you know, I have my car, we have a family car, my car. I've had snow tires on since 2011. I'm, I'm, I'm a big believer in them. And I have my two sets of wheels. I swap them in and out and just got some, we got a, a new car last year, which we talked about on an episode. We got a Subaru Outback and I got snow tires on it because my whole thing is when it snows, I want to be unstoppable. I want to have maximum capabilities. I do not want to be denied skiing. Cause Matt, like, is there anything worse than being 
going to go skiing because there's great conditions, there's great snow and being like, Oh, I can't get there because of said snow. Like that's the dumbest and worst thing ever. So that is worse. I want to be prepared. I want to be ready. So I got some, some new Blizzax on there. Nice. I can't wait to drive that thing in the snow. So that's one of my little things. You know, if you're doing a road trip, you got to make sure you have the right sort of tires, the right sort of gear on your car. Because I mean, so many people just, uh, did they completely underestimate how valuable that is? And yeah, it's not cheap to have an extra set of wheels and tires. But again, how important is getting there to you? To me, it's super important, both the safety of my family, make sure they're, you know, winter tires make a big difference, even if it's not snowing, in terms of traction and stopping power versus having an all-season or summer tire on your, on your car. Um, and just making sure I can get to where I want to go. And again, it's an expense, but it's because it's valuable to me to make sure I can get there. I think timing is a big part of it. So like, you know, as you said, when you're driving, you got to plan that a few weeks out because you got to start planning, getting the tires, where you're going to put them on, like all that stuff. Well, remember too, like now not to, not to like to criticize it, but remember you had that, that accident a bunch of years ago. Yeah. You bought snow tires after that. Now, if you had snow tires that day, do you think that would have made a difference? Um, no, cause I was on solid ice. It was ice. I was, I was going five miles an hour, literally. And just yeah. sliding. It was horrible. Um, but no, I think, you know, you got to time it all out. So like getting your tires on your car, getting your, your gear ready. If you want to get your skis tuned, you got to plan that out. Like what are you going to drop them off? Are you going to do it yourself? You're going to take a day, you know, going to take a few hours to do it yourself, but you got to have all the equipment. Like I have all the, you know, you might have to go get wax, like, all that stuff you got to plan out. Um, you know, I'm going, my first trip is going to be with somebody that hasn't skied in, in years. So they don't have all the gear. So it's kind of like trying to plan on, Oh, you know, you need your thermal underwear. You need your, you know, your base layer, um, and maybe helmet, you know, stuff like that, that you kind of don't realize that you you've collected. If you've been skiing or boarding for a while, you kind of have the gear, you know? Now you're going with somebody new. It's like, oh, wait, we got to make sure they have X, Y, and Z. Otherwise, you're just going to waste time on the mountain trying to find it. You know? And one of the big things that I, I try to use is I like to use uh, Wonderlist, the app for my phone. Uh, and, and just, you know, a week, two weeks, three weeks before, if I'm doing like a, a trip, I'll make sure I put in all the stuff I got to make sure I remember. <laughs> Excuse me. But you never you know, you know, certain things like, you know, goggles or especially the first time, first trip of the season, you know, you kind of have stuff scattered about in the summertime, you move things around, you do whatever, you know, it's, it's easy to forget some of those critical things. And, you know, I just bought new gloves. So I would usually have my old gloves stuck in my backpack. Yeah. I took those out the summer. If I didn't remember to like put in my checklist, bring your gloves, I probably would have forgot them. So, or maybe you need to wash them and they weren't ready. Like I take my stuff out for the first trip of the, of the season before I go, I usually start like a week before. And then if I'm going to like Europe or something like that, I'm even packing like a week before. Cause I want to make sure I don't forget anything. I, I gather and then I pack it, you know what I mean? Just to make sure size and weight and all that stuff for, for airlines. If you're driving, you just want to make sure you have everything collected and clean. If, if you got to wash your jacket or something, you know, yeah, that's the worst. You put away your dirty, stanky ass jacket. You take it out. You're like, oh man, I should wash it. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. One thing too, is if you, um, you know, if you haven't watched it, I actually, I had mine sitting around for so long. I was so stupid, so lazy, but I actually watched it this past week. And, you know, one of the things that's great is use that tech wash stuff. Uh, it helps kind of, you know, um, uh, it, 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 what does it do? It actually kind of brings the waterproofing back, right? Like, isn't that, it's it actually it's also purpose. cleans it better. Cause I guess when you put soap, they say cause the pores of the, of the fiber. So the tech wash actually cleans it out so that the, um, fiber does the, the moisture wicking like it's supposed to. Okay. That makes sense then. Yeah. Cause there's two different ones. There's the tech wash, which basically strips everything off. So, so the technical fiber does its job better. And then there's a waterproofing wash, which you could do too. Uh, but you don't want to do it on a tech fiber because it kind of negates the tech fiber. It just puts like a waterproof coating in there. So. Yeah. So that's something you, that's important to do too, before the season starts, make sure you have that ready. Make sure you check your goggles, make sure they're not scratched up or anything broken. Cause again, yeah. you know, yeah, you might have to order a new lens or something. Yeah. yeah. And you know what? It's way better to do that before the season starts. Be able to look online, local shops, find something that's the right price. Cause if you got to buy it on the mountain, they are going to make sure they bend you over and not and go, yeah. you know, take everything from you. So. And out of that, like you want to get the most out of your experience there, having fun skiing, doing off skiing activities. You don't want to have to say, Oh, I have to go to a store. When I don't want to go to a store, if you go on, you know, leisure shopping, that's one thing, but you don't want to have to go to a store to get something to go out skiing because you forgot it. You know, it's exactly. just, it's one of those annoying things that, you know, even cost aside, let's say the cost isn't an issue. It's, you know, you got to spend time out of your two days that you took to go away, your week that you took to go away, now to go get something that you just, you know, forgot, which, you know, it happens to, to everybody, but. A lot of times, hopefully you forget something that you don't need. <laughs> yeah, right. Yes, yeah, so make sure you, you check all your gear. Make sure everything is in good working, functional condition. That's that's huge right there. And one thing too, Mario, you mentioned, you know, going on trips and, and flying. If you're going international or, or just flying anywhere, you know, make sure you have all your um, your luggage. You make sure you have your name. You have the name tags. Have all that stuff there because you know what? sometimes it happens. You may lose your stuff. And, you know, if you don't have the right proper markings on there and information, you just might not get that stuff back. And for something like a ski trip, that's, that's heartbreaking because, you know, you don't want to lose all of your gear or big chunks of your gear, your skis, whatever. Got to have the right information on there so that they can, they can find you and get it back to you. And you got to check the rules of, of if you're flying, you got to check the rules of the airline. Do you get a free bag? Do you get skis free? Like if you're on Swiss Air, I think you get skis and boots free and they don't even count as luggage. Other airlines are that boot, uh, ski bag counts as one piece of luggage up to 50 pounds, whether it includes boots or not. So there's, you got to come up with that packing strategy. So I would say, you know, start planning ahead, at least look at it, even if you don't start packing and just know before you, you know, before you have to pack. I mean, like I said, I'm a little bit anal. So I, I start packing or gathering like the week before and then just see, Oh crap, I forgot that thing. And at least gives me time if I have to run out to a store or something or have to clean something or repair something. I mean, sometimes it's a matter of repairing stuff, you know, got to rip in your ski jacket. Oh crap. I got to repair it before I get on the mountain. You know? Yeah. I always keep a, a roll of clear gorilla tape with me, yep. which is sort of, it has almost like the strength of duct tape. 
but it's clear. So you just, you know, it's stickier than duct tape and more. It's it's more stickier, but it's yeah, more elastic and uh, but it it's just as strong. I have it all over my pants where I have my little my little cuts and holes and stuff because I just I love the pants that I have and I love the Smurf blue color. So I just I can't I haven't been able to find a pair to replace them. So I just rock the gorilla tape on there and you know the last three years it's been great. So keeps working. You're getting years out of it. Think about how as you know extending that longevity. Years. You know? Yep. Think about you bought poles this year, right? I bought poles and gloves. So damn, look at that. Not even gonna recognize me on the mountain. Well, you know, too, it's like when we were doing a share house, it was, if I was going on a trip, like, let's say we're going, you know, in the U S like, and I was waiting to pack. Sometimes I would forget to wash all my crap from the weekend before of skiing. And then I'm like, Oh no, I got to pack my stuff. And it's like, then you got to go wash everything at the last minute. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. You don't want to deal with that. I'm sitting in a pile. Yeah. And then if you're going with somebody, I mean, you know, I'm going with somebody that doesn't have, you know, half of the gear. So it's like, all right, do we want to, how are we, how are we going to do this? We have to get it before we go or we're going to be missing it. You know? Yeah. You can't rent base layer. You don't want to rent a base layer. Let's put it that way. You know, that's pretty gross. Yeah. But I guess too, like, so where you're located, you probably can't just roll into like a TJ Maxx and buy it. Right. They would, they even have that there. No, probably not. I mean, they probably would, but it'd be like $200 base layer, you know, you're talking about difference between that versus getting something on sale now. So yeah. Yeah. Just uh, things like that. And uh, if you're driving, you know, food that you're going to bring, you know, you're going to buy everything to a grocery store. You're going to bring stuff with you so you don't have to go. You're going to bring booze with you. You're going to bring, you know, very important things to think about. This is definitely true. Uh, yeah, the, these are the things you need to think about. And um, one thing to you mentioning base layers and one, and I guess it's on topic, but kind of off topic as well. There is a, uh, I had tweaked my knee a couple, couple weeks ago and luckily it, it kind of got back to normal over the last two weeks, which I'm just super thankful and, and happy wow. about. Uh, but there's a, a brand called brace layer and they do base layer, you know, base layer pants, but it has like a built-in knee stabilizer in it. And I was looking at these pants and they have a one that's specific to skiing. I think it's called their Alpine Alpine um, model. And it, it looks like in my size, it was sold out all over the place. So I was, I was wondering if, if anyone, any of our listeners have had any experience with that. Um, because it sounds like a really cool product. And, you know, I, uh, I, right now I'm probably just going to bring a knee brace, like one of those neoprene ones with me just in case. Uh, kind of probably just going to roll dirty initially, but have it just in case. But, uh, you know, I'd love to kind of try that product because it really seems like exactly what I was looking for having that base layer, you know, that, that warming and compression feel, but also having a little more stabilization in the knee without going full exoskeleton like that. Um, that product we were looking at last week, the Rome exoskeleton. Two things I was bringing is the, uh, just in case I was bringing either an ACE bandage or one of those, uh, compression, you know, the, like the sleeve, like the soft sleeve um, knee things. Yeah. Uh, and either Tiger Bomb or Icy Hot, just in case. You never oh, know. Yeah. Pull something, tweak something. It's nice to put on, just kind of warm you up. Yeah. Also, too, like a, 
you know, an aspirin or an ibuprofen is always good as well to keep with oh, you, you just in case. Especially if you, even if you get a headache on the mountain, it's just miserable. Yeah. And you know, I'm someone, I, I wear glasses usually, but uh, when I'm skiing, I wear contact lenses. Make sure you bring some extra contact lenses and fluid. That's super important. There you go. Are you using that, uh, that goop stuff that we put on there that we got at the snow show? I will tell you. So I have my old goggles, the ones I actually got them when we went to Lake Tahoe. That's how old they are. But I still like them for, for dark, uh, they're dark lenses. So they're good for really bright conditions out west. And I had, they were a little, they were kind of streaky and funky, but I used that, that goop on there and they actually got a lot of that crap off and got nice. them nice and, I mean, they're not perfect, the lenses. I think there's, you know, kind of, I don't know if it was the salt from the sweat or what it was that, that kind of got in the lens, like on the, the front of the lens a little bit, but it made a big difference cleaning them up. So, so far so good with that stuff. Yeah, I've been using that on everything too. It actually works pretty good. Yeah, it's nice. All right, anything else you can think of that? No, just if you want to get your skis tuned and you're going to drop them off somewhere, you got to plan that, you know, because especially at the beginning of the season, they get backed up. Sometimes they'll be like, oh, yeah, got to pick them up next week. You're like, I'm going in two days. So, like, well, sorry, take them with you. I actually call the local ski place and they're like, oh, it's like a half an hour. Just come by. I was like, yeah. Whoa. So, some places, yeah, it all depends. Yeah, once they stop getting backed up, then they, then it's okay, you know. Or just bring it up to the mountain with you and find a shop there. Usually, do it overnight. That people come in at night and they do them all night. That's usually Fridays. Yeah, if you're coming in on a Friday night, they'll uh, they'll have like the open to one in the morning drop offs. Um, yeah. But I know my timing. I actually have to go to the place tomorrow and drop them off so I can grab them on Sunday. Nice. So we can get rolling on Monday. Um, any, I'm trying to think about other tips. Oh, one thing too is if you're if you're uh, that one thing that we like to do is if you're doing, if you are flying somewhere for your carry on, you know, the regular carry on size suitcase, unless you have like really big feet, you can usually fit your ski boots in a carry on. And what's nice is like one of the little techniques that, you know, I think we've both employed is that you can jam, you know, socks or shirts or whatever in your boot in order to make even more room to get more stuff into your carry-on. And a nice thing about that too is like, say they do lose your your bag, your suitcase, whatever. At least you'll have like a set of gear, you know, socks, base layer, gloves. Uh, you'll have that with you. So right. that's kind of, a, kind of a tip that you know, we've used that's always been pretty helpful. Yeah, I'm very... Uh very particular about my boots. I don't want everybody messing with my boots. So I always put them in the carry on and uh, I always watch that and make sure that that's with me. Cause I get those rent. I get, I get those demo pair of skis. It's fine with me, but I, I don't want to demo boots put that way. No, I remember the last time I did that and I declared it the last time I will ever do that. So, yeah, but yeah. So um, I use like a, I have a, a Dekine uh, boot bag and if I do it right, I can fit in my boots, my helmet with both my goggles in there, like both sets of goggles and a couple of pairs of socks and base layer and my shell and pants all in that bag that fits in a carry on. So again, so you, you're pretty much at least going to have what you need for your first day in case your luggage does get lost. Yeah. 
And then you also have to plan what you're going to do. If you're going to go back country, you got to fit all your AV, AV stuff, you know, unless you can rent it. So Very you're true. That. You got to plan that packing strategy too, because that shovel is the worst to pack. It's got an odd shape. It's just a pain in the ass. Yeah. But all the other stuff is pretty easy. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you are bringing skis and you have like a ski bag, you can usually get that. Well, depends. If you have a roller bag, you can get it in there. If you have just a regular, you know, single pair, small bag or a, one of those hard cases, it's not going to fit in there, but I have like this big Oakley double ski roller bag and that stuff all fits perfectly in there with my skis. I got a non roller bag, but it's a double ski thing. I would recommend it anyway. If you're going to buy another a ski bag, whether it's a roller one or not, get a double, even if you don't put the double skis in there, because you, you want to pack it to 50 pounds because that's what the, the, you know, the airlines give you up to. And you could put a ton of clothes and everything. You'll have the space and it's not much bigger of a bag, you know. Yeah, mine's right there folded in half and nice. has like the nice big like shoulder harness on there yeah. that thing is that thing was great i mean i even fit plenty of lanyagers the sausages in there which was uh, delicious nice yeah i have one that's not a roller and i tell you about carrying that through especially for an international trip it's a little bit of a pain in the ass i wound up like chucking it on one of my bags that's a roller and just rolling that with it on top if it was a roller bag it'd be a lot easier the only bad thing with the rollers is if you're playing planes, trains, and automobiles, getting to the resort, yeah. like I did last time when I was, I had to take like a, a shuttle and like a shuttle van and then a, one of those like uh, monorails at the airport. Like it's, it's cumbersome because it is a, it's tall, it's heavy, it's goofy. Yeah. Uh, that's about the only problem. But if you have like a nice, easy, like, car ride over or SUV, I guess you need like an SUV or a wagon to throw them in the back there and then get that into your, uh, right to the, the baggage handlers. Then it's not so bad. I remember getting picked up by the Uber driver and he didn't have a truck. I just got the regular Uber XL and he's looking and he's like, how am I going to fit this in? I'm like, all right, there's no other passenger. Put the front seat down, put that in there as like a passenger next to him and sat in the back seat. I'm like it's going to work. Don't worry about it, man. <laughs> yeah. We'll make it work. Right. Yeah. You know, but you got you to plan on all that unexpected stuff because it does happen, you know. Yeah, and that's true. One of the things too is, yeah, if you're, you are flying somewhere, make sure you, you're able to get a ride and that your gear is going to fit in that vehicle because, you know, if someone rolls up in like a an old Celica, you're going to have a tough time getting your skis in there. Yeah. I mean, if you're with like two or three other people, you're not getting all that gear in. So you got to call a different kind of truck or something to pick you up. Yeah. And you don't want that that stress that morning of like calling an Uber and just rolling the dice and not knowing what you're going to get. Yeah. I mean, and when we've done international trips, we go to the club and that saves us a lot of logistical nightmare. But if you're going by yourself, you got to have your shit together, ready to go of if you're getting a rental car, if you're, you know, driving places, you got to have that kind of down. I mean, yeah, you can follow ways and whatever, like it'll still map out there, but you also got to plan on, do you have a cell plan that's going to get you ways while you're driving? Um, well, remember, remember talking to Kevin about his trip to Japan last year? Oh, he was yeah. say he was talking about how, you know, what it took that, I mean, you know, these, a lot of these cab drivers, once you get outside of Tokyo, they don't speak English. Yeah. So it, he really had the, I think he like wrote everything down or had pictures or he had something where that going. where he was going. So that, I mean, you know, if your phone doesn't work there or there's bad signals, like you really need to be ready to, um, to handle that situation and get to where you need to go. 
Adam Ricard with where you're going. Like, I, I don't know. You have to, you got to figure out a way to do it. You, know? mm-hmm. you should kind of plan on that ahead of time. Otherwise you're, it's one of those things you, you're just going to spend more time, you know, you'll get it done. It's not the end of the world, but. But yeah, spend you know. the time early if you can. Yeah. You spend the time before you are on your trip and you want to spend that time having fun. Exactly. Make the most of your trip. And lift tickets. That's the other one too. Like if you could find a deal on lift tickets before you go, might want to look into that ahead of time. So yeah. rather than go to the mountain and start looking for a deal because that's not going to happen. You're not going to find it by the time you're up there. No, you got to do it beforehand. Worst comes to worst, I'd say pop into a uh, a ski shop on the way up. A lot of times they sell discount tickets there. You know? Yeah. But yeah, right. so those are, you know, those are a lot of the tips that we have. Bump style, just kind of go with the flow. Don't ever complain. And always, and you know, if you do get into a situation or even if you're just kind of you know, being a tourist somewhere, just chat with the locals. You know, you can get a ton of great advice that way and get some guidance and help because, you know, everyone's kind of in this fraternity together of of being, you know, skiing, snowboarders. And, you know, at the end of the day, we kind of want to take care of our own. So, you know, you always always find some great information talking with the locals. Yeah, people help each other out. That's how we found Reds. To this day, we wouldn't have found Reds without somebody's help. Yeah, one of the, the greatest meals of our lives. One of the best places we've ever went to. And Freshies. And Freshies, that's right. Both were just chatting with the locals. That's what led us, led us to those places. Yeah, Reds, they will smoke anything for you. we got to go back there. I would love to shoot an elk and bring it there. Bring it. Just Yeah, it's on the car. Can you smoke it for me? I'll be back at the end of the week. <laughs> you go skiing. There you go. I'm going to drop some lines. Smoke this thing. I'll be back. <laughs> you smoke my meat. <laughs> <laughs> you cut my milk. Awesome. All right, cool. So yeah, if you guys have any tips or anything you want to share that we can share with everyone else, hit us up. Skibonepodcast at gmail.com. Under the ropes. If anybody has uh, you know how much we love space and we talk about all things space-wise. Uh, Virgin Galactic flew its first astronauts to the edge of space. So they're getting one step closer to space tourism. So there were two pilots on board Virgin Galactic spacecraft Unity, and they became the company's first astronauts. So they reached an altitude of 51.4 miles, um, and it carried a few experiments up, but um, they said it was the longest rocket power flight ever on, you know, for Virgin uh, Galactic. And they're saying that took a, a step um, ahead of, you know, ahead in the uh, business of space tourism. So they're planning to, and I think they've already booked uh, flights, like people have booked trips on, uh, on their, on their quote unquote airline or whatever they're considering it, their space line, um, to take these little tourist flights to the edge of space. So it's pretty interesting. Yeah, it's so cool. It seems like they've been kind of talking about this for a while now, right? The last like five five six years oh even longer than that i think they set up it's been going for a long time um when did virgin galactic start i think they were founded like 2000 or something like that was it that long ago really yeah it's been a while i mean they haven't done anything like you haven't heard anything about them but uh four oh four so, yeah, they're saying that 600 people have signed on for the 
to go on the launch with tickets priced at 250k per flight. Oh yeah, and they prepaid a lot of them. prepaid part of it. That's crazy. Oh yeah. Man, with house money there, Richard Branson. I like, like it. It's like you know you could buy a couple of uh, pretty sweet vintage Tucker snowcats with that kind of money, right? If Bernie Madoff was running this, there'd be twenty thousand people signing up every year. That's right. <laughs> you just get people keep going. People come in are funding the people that you already spent their money. But no, this is really cool. I, uh, Richard Branson's one of those people that he's done a lot of cool stuff. I tell you, um, dude, you read any of his books, like his uh, his autobiographies? No. I recommend losing my virginity. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. He's just, yeah. I mean, he just kind of had a vision and went for it. You know, he's one of those people that, you know, are extremely inspirational because they, you know, they kind of had an idea and they, they knew that just working a regular nine to five being a typical, you know, typical drone existence wasn't going to work for him and, and took, kept taking chances. And now look at him. Now he's flying people to space. You know, how, how amazing is that? He was a record company. He had a record store, you know, now again, now he's flying people to space. It's, it's so cool. It's so beautiful. I love it too. I remember, I remember him and Ted Turner were like racing to, for some reason, to fly balloon around the earth. Remember that was a whole big thing that they were like almost Vague, competing at. Vaguely. Yeah. They're like Almost dying, like trying to do it. I'm like, what are you doing, man? But <laughs> it was like him and Turner were having this, because Turner tried it and he tried it. And I was like, it's weird, but awesome. Yeah. So that was kind of talking about the future and, you know, what people are going to, what we're going to eventually do and have normal. This is kind of going back to a, a different time, to a simpler time, if you will. And I saw this in Sports Illustrated and I never heard about this, but I was immediately extremely fascinated and intrigued. There is now, you know, we all know about the Olympics. We all know about the X Games and what, but I had never heard about the World Nomad Games before. And this is something extremely crazy. And Sports Illustrated did a a short documentary on it. And this is, again, these World Nomad Games that take place in, is it Kyrgyzstan, I believe? Uh, yeah, Kyrgyzstan. I mean, Kazakhstan. It's Kyrgyzstan. I've never heard of them. Yeah, and their their country's de facto national sport is called Kokburu, which uses a headless goat carcass as a ball. No, who doesn't? So it's almost it's almost like polo with a dead goat carcass. Wow! And so they had these just recently had the third world nomad games and someone who is from New York city who went to go watch it said, it's kind of like a cross between the Olympics and medieval times plus a dose of Dothraki from game of Thrones. (laughs) So this was launched as a government initiative in 2014, the week long competition and festival aims to revive the culture of the ancient tribes that used to roam the earth at a previous edition's, opening ceremonies a public address announcer proclaimed if genghis khan were alive today he'd be here this year there were six current heads of state and participation has ballooned from 19 countries at the first games to more than 70 including the u.s you gotta watch this video it's freaking awesome it looks like genghis khan village they got dude like right and stuff it's really yeah cool. 
It said roughly 2,000 athletes took part in 37 national ethno sports as Kyrgyzstan's former tourism minister, Maksat Chakiev, called the contests. There's Air Enish, which, or horseback wrestling, was exactly as it sounds. Shirtless men grappled on top of their steeds, attempting to dismount their opponent. There's Salburan, which is hunting, which involves hounds, falcons, and golden eagles. It was astonishing how many birds of prey hung around the yurt-filled Kirchen Gorge that week, but no actual dead animals. In various events, the birds and dogs pursued mock pelts with their owners judged for score and time. There was archery as the much more impressive horseback archery whose competitors put Katniss Everdeen to shame. There was bone tossing and people tossing (laughs) in the form of 17 types of wrestling. There were also intellectual games such as Mancala, but it was clear that Kokuboru was the star described as dead goat polo or horseback rugby with a Hercene ball the game used to be the military training for tribal warriors. Now it's played in villages across Central Asia and increasingly at the national level. While each country has a different name for the sport and slightly distinct rules, here's how it works in Kyrgyzstan. Four mounted men on each team, you could say studs riding studs, race toward a 80-pound goat at the center of the 200-meter-long dust plane, hoisted off the ground without breaking stride, and then gallop toward a goal that resembles an oversized donut. Meanwhile, their opponents employ any means necessary to rip the carcass away or block their horse's progress. Wow. So it's almost like, do you remember American Gladiators? <laughs> yeah. Remember they had like that, that gauntlet thing where you had to like get the ball into like that center thing and all the gladiators were kind of around trying to stop you from doing it? Everybody would just get destroyed. Like you'd have the alternates finishing every one of those shows because like they blew out somebody's knee. Right. Yeah, this seems like this this video looks pretty nuts. It is pretty nuts, like, but cool. Like cool nuts. Yeah, it said a bunch of guys like cowboy hatted Americans, mostly from Wyoming, were there to play Kokoboru. Nice. Getting in the game. Maybe yeah. So yeah, there's a. Unfortunately, you got to pay for Sports Illustrated to watch their the actual short film on it for now. But it uh, just reading about this and watching the promo, it's pretty exciting. And you know, I'm sure this is only going to get bigger because it's it's funny how we're as much as we're evolving again, talking about you know space travel and you know what what we're looking to achieve as a species in the future. It's still cool seeing people going to a very primal place as well you know we're kind of really embracing our our uh our roots and our natural instincts that are so often just quelled and muted by everyday society dude i'm on their site right now i I gotta find a way to get involved with this let's find a goat they do have all these different types of wrestling like six different types of wrestling on there and they have the archery. They got a bunch of different archery things. They have the sights. Oh, they have an endurance route. Let's see what that is. <laughs> the endurance. 
the best time passing the distance by the athlete on a horse provided that his physiological parameters are maintained. Huh. That's kind of testing the horse endurance. <laughs> four teams, four riders, four grooms, four coaches, one vet, and one representative. And a partridge in a pear tree. So they're saying over 80 kilometers. Wow. Huh. The combination that finishes the course in the shortest time will be classified as the winner. That's pretty crazy. Oh, here you go. As the winner of the competition, after successful completing all final veterinary inspections, at the final inspection, the maximum pulse shall be 64 beats per minute within 30 minutes. Jeez. Wow. So you can finish fast, but you got to be able to like recover. That's pretty crazy. Damn. I like this. This is like, this is going to be on the Ocho. <laughs> we got to find something we can do on this. Maybe the mental sport thing. Nice. Oh, they have a tug of war on this. I would love tug of war. Oh, All right, man. next up. They have a game like Go. They have all sorts of stuff in there. Got something for everybody. Yeah. All right, next up, Clearwater, Florida, right here. There is a, a company, the Condom Depot, announced the winners of the 17th Annual World's Best Condom Awards. Now, number one, Clearwater, I didn't know that we, this was a big event. Number two, I didn't know this has been going on for 17 goddamn years. <laughs> really? So um, in Clearwater, Florida, uh, the Condom Depot, an international distributor of condoms, and one of the nation's top educational resources for safer sex information uh, announced the winners of the condom awards. So they use strategic metrics to determine the top 10 best condoms based on consumer need. So their mission's always been to promote the effectiveness and proper use of condoms uh, to reduce disease and unwanted pregnancies. So they're saying um, they want to educate consumers and they receive feedback at each year, and that's what they use um, to measure their condoms. Well, not measure them, but rate their condoms. So came out with their awards, and um, they did have a bunch of uh, bunch of condoms. So they're saying the Okamoto Crown Condom made the best condoms list, while uh, newcomers such as One Vanish, Hyperthin, and Beyond Seven Mega Big Boy have quickly gained popularity among the masses. <laughs> so, for a full list, uh, let's go to the full list because I got to see what the hell's on it. What are they? Uh, and, and they're not kowtowing to like the, um, you know, the, the name brands. So, Crown, then Durex Trusted, Natural Lamp. So, you know, they got a whole bunch of condom. Uh, yeah, so, yeah. so there's like, it, you know, it's like with, with beers, right? There's like the independent brewers, I like guess, like independent condom makers. That's right. Craft condoms. Craft condoms. <laughs> Dude, I don't use craft condoms, man. That other, you know, mass produce shit, that irritates me. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. This is like Beyond a... 7 Mega Big Boy has made a thriving, thriving thrust to come to the top of the, uh, the award. How many people are buying that and it's just falling off them, but they just want to, you know, say that's what they use. <laughs> what do you need? I need a mega big boy. Boy, you need a little thimble, a finger sock is what you need. 
Iron Grip, Caution Wear, Iron Grip Condoms. Fourth time winner. Characters, snugger and tighter fitting condoms. Never have to worry about the condom slipping off thanks to Iron Grip. Iron Grip. Mail review. Finally, a smaller condom that fits me better than the condoms I would get at stores. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. The Kimono Special Condoms. Yeah, so this is somebody's life is they're dealing condoms. So kudos to you, Clearwater, for, and the Condom Depot. Or, uh, you know, Condom Depot, I would think I should be able to buy a lot of condoms there. You'd think so. Buy it by a pallet, I guess, right? I may have to take a factory tour. <laughs> you should uh, Instagram story that for us. I gotta find out where this fucking place is. Oh, they're having holiday samplers going out. Oh, 100 condom holiday sampler for 29 bucks. Japan condom sampler jar. I didn't know they had a whole Japan condom market. They do. <laughs> oh, 2018 world's best condoms. $27 on sale. So they have a sampler of all the world's best condoms. That's not a deal. That's a steal. So it's like the 12 days of Christmas. <laughs> the 12 condoms 12 of Christmas. Condoms. Uh, that's awesome. Well, it looks like they have a lot of stuff here. May have to venture in there. I see what party town they're in. <laughs> <laughs> they're right next door, probably. <laughs> or committing. Yes, they're right next door. I could just, they're right next to the liquor store. <laughs> yeah, how do we get there? Condom, new condom arrivals? Probably. Stack picks, all that. I wonder if you're like waiting in line, you know, like when new sneakers are released. Yeah. You're like waiting in line in sight to get these new condoms. You think they have like vintage condoms? I'm sure yeah, someone's so. in the, I'm sure there's some sort of like weird, like weird chick who's like, you know, into like steampunk or something. And she like wants to have only have old condoms used on her. On a 1995 um, natural lamb vintage collection condom. What was the one from the Wonder Years, the Red Chief? <laughs> when Paul Pfeiffer had it in his wallet, his mom found it. Awesome. Yeah, I think you can only order online, but they're based out of here. Right next to Scientology. Maybe Scientology runs it. It could be. Condomology. I want to see the return policy. Um, they do not resell items, which is good. Um, Always positive. If you're not satisfied with your return, all or part of it to us within 30 days for a refund. I would not go. want to get returns of condoms. I'm sure they have some sort of special deal. You get the return ones like a thousand for like five bucks. They did not specify unopened packages of condoms. So right. Get a whole bunch like a bag of used condoms coming back. No good. No es bueno, man. Nope. And to finish it off this week, we're keeping it kind of funny and grungy as well. Funeral home under fire for using nude models to sell caskets. What? Yes, to sell caskets. Nice. This uh, in Poland, undertakers Lindner have been draping heavenly beauties on top of their caskets for a bit of fun. It says. It shot nude female models at the request of fans and added a pinch of cinema magic. Oh, that's pretty funny, actually. I'm looking at some of the... <laughs> it's the 10th edition of their calendar, and for a decade, their trademark has been to combine opposites, a beautiful naked body with our perfect exclusive coffins. A real gem for collectors and lovers of beauty 
12 exclusive coffins and 12 beautiful pictures of naked models. Wow. And company founder, oof, that's some first name, Zbigniew Linder has described its coffins as the last bed you'll ever sleep in. Nice. Now, yeah, I mean, the pictures are actually kind of funny and kind of cool. There's like, you know, there's like, there's dudes in some of them too who are pretty much naked. And, oh, it's guys and girls in it. Yeah. Yeah, but there's always like a woman naked on top of the coffin. Um, I think these people have a really good sense of humor. And I love that they have requests from fans. Who is a fan of coffins? I don't know. Like coffin fans? Like... Coffering Marketing 100, like, I don't, you know, I understand it's a need, but. Like, I mean, who's, who's just kind of like, you know, if I go this year, I better check out what sort of model coffin I want to be buried in. So I better, I better check the old Lindner catalog to see what's available. I don't like pine. I want something more of like a, like a birch perhaps. Yeah, right. Like, do you, do you know, do people know brands? Like. I mean, I, they must have some sort of following over there, which is, you know, I mean, I guess that's good, right? You know, you're, whatever you're doing, your art, your craft, it's good to have fans. You know, people are fans of this show for some reason. You know, I guess people can be fans of, uh, of coffin manufacturers as well, right? Well, I know Costco uh, sells coffins. But Costco's not putting nude models on top of their, their coffins. I know, but I'm talking about fans. So do people go there and be like, oh, look at that. That's the new, uh, you know, whatever brand. So I'm looking at, there's a coffinworld.com. Do they name the coffin? Or does it like have like a model number? I mean, I guess it must have some sort of skew or something, but. I'm looking right now at a Serenity flat lid coffin made out of mahogany. You know, and uh, Angelique metal casket. I'm getting a pop up to chat. They have like the Camaro version, like. Yeah, look at that. That's the Cadillac of coffins. I'm <laughs> going in that one. <laughs> going in the solid wood. I'm going the Excalibur. That's the one I want. That's the Excalibur. The <laughs> California Red Cedar. I want that one. The Coupe Deville of coffins. <laughs> Coffin Deville. But they got cardboard caskets too. Oof. That's my price range, man. I'm that's be dead you know what? That's care. that's seriously when you're very practical. I like that. It's like an Amish thing. <laughs> when you're thinking about it, like, what the fuck do I care? I'm dead, right? right? Am I really going to complain? No, absolutely not. I'm not going to complain because I can't. Dead. Wow, I like this. They're like, what about down. being buried buried in your ski bag? Oh, that'd be cool. You may have to do a little bit of chopping. Make Slip you fit. It it's a squish a little bit. Yeah, you're not going to feel it. Think about that marketing. Wouldn't you like to be buried in this? And they put the girl on top of the coffin. Perfect. Right? Right? <laughs> Double meaning. Double entendre. I like that. That's right? going to move a lot of product this season, I think. Ah, that boy knows how to move some coffins, that guy. <laughs> He's good. Always <laughs> be coffining. <laughs> Yeah, we can do the ABCs to anything. I think See? we can. It works. We're going to have like a, the 12 days of ABC. Put coffining. the coffin down. <laughs> Coffins are for closers. That's right. <laughs> uh, we, we're, we could be the marketing for these guys. We got to write good. them. Oh, 
Hopefully they follow us. I'm going to follow them on Instagram. I'm going to order yeah. a calendar. Oh, can you? Hang it in my garage, like like an old school, like an old school, like 70s dude garage. Where it was just like... What's the name of the company again? Lindner Coffins. Lindner. I don't know what 161 PLNs is, but I can't tell if it's expensive or not. I don't know. I went to a site that I don't think has... Oh, yeah, no, this is it. That's a hot-ass girls on these coffins. This they're is like... In, instead of motorcycles, they're on coffins. It's pretty wild. They're not unattractive, that's for sure. This is pretty crazy. Let's see. What is a PLN to a USD? What is a PLN? About a, it's it's worth about four, four bucks. Is that Polish? One oh. one Polish zloty is equal to point two six U.S. dollars. So yeah, roughly. Zloty. So like four zlotys is like a dollar. Yeah, I was looking at a 2015 calendar. Mm-hmm. It was all women on it. Now the 2019 has has girls and guys on. It, so they've yeah. expanded. Something for everybody. I'll purchase the calendar. No, I don't want to write to them, see if they could send us a free calendar. Maybe they'll be the first sponsor of the high foods. <laughs> Who are your sponsors? <laughs> We're sponsored by a Polish coffin calendar. <laughs> God damn proud of it. Yeah, so we'll include the link there in the show notes so you too can get your Lindner coffin. They're putting all the uh, places they were published about Men's Journal, Playboy, Velvet, like all these life thanks <laughs> but boys. it's life spelled like a different way it's l apostrophe boy's life you know it's in there everywhere it's like a fake life it's like a polish life or something yeah we got some. all right well i guess that on that note wraps up the podcast for the week that puts it to rest yeah. <laughs> rest in uh, peace podcast uh, so, that's great thank you all so much for listening we really do appreciate it Check us out at skibumpodcast.com. Check us out on all the socials, twitter.com slash skibumpodcast, instagram.com slash skibumpodcast, facebook.com slash skibumpodcast. We are on YouTube. Search for us, Highfalutin Skibums. We are on Pinterest as Highfalutins. We are in SoundCloud as... What are we in SoundCloud again? Highfalutin dash skibums. I am going away to Vermont skiing. Hopefully I'll be posting a bunch of cool stuff and having some fun adventures and trips and just, uh, just doing what we do. And we're hoping to get one more episode in before Christmas. That's our goal. And then maybe one more in before the new year, but, uh, TBD on that, but please just keep following, keep subscribing and rating us. We really do appreciate that. It really helps us out. And again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening and spread, spreading the love and, and coming you know, getting back to us, sending us notes, talking to us on the socials. We really do appreciate it. It makes it a lot more fun for us to do knowing you guys are out there and you guys are digging it. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And we will talk to you guys next week. Hey, guys, See you.